Greetings to each one in the precious name of Jesus. I just wanted to say I've been greatly humbled by the level of support you all have shown to me, also to our home congregation, and I just look across the audience and I see so many friends and so many brothers and sisters faithfully serving the Lord, and I am tremendously blessed. And although I'm tired of studying, I am refreshed because of your attitude and just, I don't know, I, I can't express how I feel, but I love the church here and I love our greater churches. Um, just, it's just so, uh, such a blessing to be able to get this many people together of like precious faith. And do we realize what a blessing we have? Sometimes I, don't, I think we maybe just take it for granted. <clears throat> I feel like my subject matter for this week has been a little bit on the negative side. But when I thought about that, I thought, well, we're, we're going for revival. We're going for things that maybe aren't what they should be or things that are lacking. So maybe that's why I steered towards the negatives, because if we can get those corrected, we're pretty good at thinking about the positive, especially in our own lives. We're pretty good at patting ourselves on the back and saying, good job. So if I can bring up the other side of it for a little bit, and just, I don't mind if you think on things. And I hope that you take some of the things I said with you, and then if the Holy Spirit prompts you a week from now, you do something about it. The Holy Spirit was faithful with me and continues to work with me. And as, as I think on things, suddenly some things just click. And now I see it, <laughs> where I didn't see it a week ago. So I didn't want to be too harsh on you. I hope you do continue to think on, especially the words of Christ. The things I say, if it was just an opinion of mine, you can forget it. But if it came from the Word of God, and it, if it was scriptural, please do continue to think on it, because that's how we grow. That's how we grow in the knowledge of Christ. So this evening I have a question for you. Which is more real, heaven or hell? Can I have an answer? It's the same. They're both, they're both real, correct? Which, which do you tend to think on more? Or what's a more pleasant thought? Heaven. It's a pretty, that's an easy answer, right? We like to think about heaven. We like to think about all the ways we're going to get to heaven and all the things God's going to look over for us to get there, right? That's how we tend to look at stuff. And we, we don't like to dwell on the subject of hell. And that's natural. It's not a nice subject. But it doesn't mean that it's not real. And I'm not here to scare you this evening, although I would try if I knew it made an eternal difference for you. But I don't know that that's what God has called me to. If, you know, if I could sit here and scream and whatever it all was to make you scared of hell to the point that you would change your sinful actions, I might give it a try. But I don't think that's what God's called me to do this evening. But I want us to realize a couple things this evening that the Bible teaches very plainly. Hell is a real place that really exists. Hell was never intended for you and I to go there. I don't believe it was a place that was intended for you and me to go. Then I have a question. Is it possible to go there? Some will say, well, it's not. Is it a place that you want to go? That should be an easy answer. No. And God has provided a better way. 
Praise the Lord. Let's turn to Revelations 20 to start. Revelations 20, starting at verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no more place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So when I say hell, I'm not talking about the grave this evening. Sometimes the Bible refers to hell as being the grave, or the place people go down into when they die. I'm talking about an eternal place of punishment. I'm talking about the lake of fire. I'm talking about the place of the damned. Who went to hell here? It says, The devil, the beast, and the false prophet shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And if you want to do an interesting study, which I got into too late and it was boggling my mind, so I have to dive back into it. But Revelations 20 verse 10, it says, Where the beast and the false prophet are. How did they get there? How did they show up a little before the devil did? Just a little bit of an interesting study that I didn't have time to delve into properly. Okay. Then moving on to 2 Thessalonians 1.6. Seeing it is a righteous thing that God, with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled rest with us, when the Lord shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in a flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished, with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So not only the devil will be in the lake of fire, but those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life will be damned to hell fire, to eternal destruction and punishment. So we don't care to dwell on hell, and understandably so, but do we realize that it's a real place? Do we realize that it really exists? Where real people will go. Mothers, fathers, rebellious, teenagers, people that are accountable to God and have rejected God. It is not a place that anyone would wish to spend any amount of time. What if it was not eternal? What if it was a hundred years? Why? Why would you why would you spend want to why would you risk spending any time there at all? I've said it before, probably to our congregation, but no one in their right mind would choose to go to hell. Either they don't understand what it is, or they don't understand they're not thinking clearly. It's just it's not a clear thought. Why would you go to a place of eternal fire, destruction, damnation, and, and any horrible, sinful thing that you can imagine? You don't go walking down back alleys 
in the slums of New York City, <laughs> and that's probably scary enough. It's no comparison to hell. So is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Do your works show who you belong to? I was impressed in Revelations that these people were judged by their works. They were judged by their actions. They were judged by the fruits of what they were doing. Is there anyone here tonight that does not know God? If there is, like, raise a hand. Do you not, is there anyone here that does not know God? Because I think it's important. I think if we've been in our churches and we haven't preached or, or told who God is, we've done someone a disfavor. But I think we've all been under sound enough teaching that we all know who God is. He's the first and the last. He's your creator. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's a good God. He's a merciful God. He's a loving God. He's a just God. And He wants to be your Father. Okay? So that's who God is. Do you know Him? Well, a more important question is then, does God know you? Does God know you? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 13. Enter you in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name ha have we cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. How is that possible? That people have prophesied in his name and cast out devils and done many wonderful works and they'll get to the end and he said, I don't know you. Well, it says, ye that work iniquity. They had iniquity in their heart. I want us to realize that we should never underestimate the power of Jesus' name. Even if said by a sinner, there's power in Jesus' name. There's power in the blood. But if there's iniquity in the heart, it will keep us from heaven. It will keep us from our end goal. Turn with me to Mark chapter 9. 
starting at verse 41. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. And whosoever shall offer one of these little ones that shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he were cast into the sea. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life main than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. If thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. For every one shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, wherewith shall ye season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. Hell is an indescribable whore. The fire is not quenched. The body does not die. It's a place of torment. Jesus went as far as saying, it'd be better to lop off a foot than to go to hell with two feet. That's, that's pretty drastic, isn't it? To lop off a hand, to pluck out an eye. I'll lose a hand and a foot before I lose an eye. Matthew twenty five forty one, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for who? The devil and his angels. It's not a place for us. It was never intended to be a place for us. It was intended for a place for the devil and his angels. God provided a way of escape. He provided us a way that we can have life through his son Jesus. Hell is a place that has been prepared for the devils and his angels, and it was made accordingly. Is it possible for you and I to go to hell? Well, not if our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So is it possible to go to hell at all? Matter of fact, I think a lot of people end up there unintentionally. These people that said, Lord, Lord, we've done all these mighty works. We've done all these good deeds. They may even be surprised. And it's not because no one warned them. I think it's because they didn't believe the warnings. I don't think we're going to go to hell because we were never warned. Or, it, oh, well, I, I never was told that. No, I think we've been told I think we may have not have listened. Let's continue in Matthew 25 there, verse 42. For I was hungered, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer and say, Lord... When saw we thee hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them and say, Verily I send to you, inasmuch as ye did not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Do you find it hard to stoop to another's level? 
Do you find it hard to humble yourself? This is not a surprise you wish to receive. Lord, when did we see you hungry? Well, the last time you were serving at the soup kitchen. Well, when, when did we see you naked? That, that beggar at Walmart that wanted that $5 that you couldn't part with. Oh, well, he was just wanting drugs. How do you know? We have a lot of money. Uh, sometimes we're a little stingy with it. I don't say freely give your money to anyone that asks it. But there are people in need. Do we have a heart to give? Maybe he didn't need it at all. But then you had an opportunity to tell him about the Lord. Say, hey, do you know Jesus? Because that's the reason I'm giving you this $5. It's an opportunity. When did we see you in prison? Well, the last time you did prison ministry. Do we still have a heart for prison ministry? Well, you know, these people, they're sitting there in prison, and they'll just say anything that, that they want to say because they're not going anywhere. And then if they come out, oh, they're needy and all this stuff. I think we should have a heart for prison ministry. And as much as you did it not unto the one of the, the least of these, you did it not unto me, depart into everlasting punishment. Second Corinthians 5. Sometimes Paul uses language that's hard to understand. This, was, I think, was in our daily reading last week. 2 Corinthians 5.1 For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, so if our body died, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Do you know that? That's what you need to know this evening. Do you have a body not made with hands, eternal in the heavens? Are you going to receive that when you die? For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. Do you have an earnest desire to be with the Lord? Sometimes life feels pretty good down here. feels pretty nice. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us in the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnestness of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. That is what we need to labor towards, that whether present or absent, we are accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. A loving God would never send anyone to hell, would he? No. He's provided a way of escape. I'll say it again. But a loving God and a just God does not put up with sin. And he will allow you to take your free will and to send yourself to hell. He will allow it. Have you been clothed with salvation this evening? There was a story of the man that showed up to the wedding feast. And he was sitting there. And the, 
the king or the good man of the house was walking through and he found a guy sitting there and he said, what are you doing here? You haven't put on the wedding garment. He said, oh, I didn't know I needed that. That's just like sitting here and say, well, I don't really need salvation to get to heaven. I'm a good person. I've done good deeds. I'm good enough. No, you need salvation. You need the Lord Jesus Christ. You need him in your life. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through his Son. Is this your desire this evening? There, were th there are those who would rather the Lord not come this evening, I bet. There are some here that say, well, I hope he doesn't come this evening. hope he doesn't come next week. Why? Because they have not made proper preparations to undertake the journey. Hell is a place for good people who choose to not accept Jesus. Do you believe that? Hell is a place for good people who choose not to accept Jesus. That's a frightening thought. Hell is a place for those who simply do nothing. It's an easy place to go to, matter of fact. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that find it. It's not that hard to find. Just do what feels good to your flesh, and you'll be on the right road. I could accept salvation, but not tonight. Why not? Well, maybe you say, well, I don't feel called. Okay, fair enough. Are you listening? I know that God calls different people at different times. Maybe he hasn't called you yet, but someday he might call you, and you need to be listening, and you need to be open to his call. Samuel, when he heard the Lord call for the first time, he didn't know what was going on. And he went over and he said, did you call me? No, I didn't call you, and it happened a couple times. And he said, next time you go back to sleep, say, Lord, uh, I don't even know what the word was. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. I think that's the attitude we have to have. So have an attitude and openness to listen to the Spirit. But I will tell you, if you're aware that you're a sinner, and you're aware that you're in need of a Savior, the Lord is calling you. He's calling you through the preaching of the gospel. If you're aware of those things, the Lord is calling you tonight. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. So he's knocking. Maybe it's gentle. Maybe he's not pounding the door. He often doesn't pound the door. He talks in a soft voice, a kind voice. Can I come in? I want to I abide with you. And then we have to take that step, like the object lesson with the children. They had to get up and come accept that $1 bill. Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. And he said, just open the door and I will come in unto you. Young children, I'm not here to scare you this evening. And I want you to know that if the Lord hasn't called you yet, you're safe in the arms of Jesus. That's a blessing. I'm not about child evangelism. But one day he will call you. He's faithful and he'll call you. Be listening for him. Be ready when he calls you. Be ready to accept it. It's a good thing. It's not a shameful thing. It's not something to be terrified about. The Lord loves the little children. 
He always said, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven. He was, he was upset at his disciples when they were shooing the children away. He loves the little children. He loves you. Mark 10, 13. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms and put his hands upon them and blessed them. What a loving and amazing Savior. Oh, that we could grasp the seriousness, though, of a life without God. Why would any of us choose that? If we could fully comprehend the great love that he has shown to us in providing redemption through his Son, if we could but grasp the joy of heaven, wouldn't our decisions be much easier? If we could grasp the horrors of hell, would it be a place that we would choose to go? It would not. It's a place of outer darkness. How many of you enjoy the dark when you can't see your hand in front of your face in the back of a cave somewhere? Not I. Matthew 8.10 And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. That's us. Maybe we came from the West, right? What a blessing. He reached out his arm to the Gentiles. But he said, But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why? Because they didn't listen to him. They didn't think they had a need for a Savior. We've never been in bondage to any man. It's not a place we need to go. Are you weighing the options this e evening? And if you are, may I help you? Sons and daughters of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Or, outer darkness, weeping and wailing, gnashing of teeth, eternal hellfire and destruction. Do you see, see a mismatch there? There's no comparison. Weeping and wailing, gnashing of teeth. Have you ever been in so much pain that you gnashed your teeth together? That's a lot of pain. It's an idea of extreme anguish. Not just a little bit of pain, but extreme anguish. Well, we have a story found in Luke chapter 16. And I often wonder, when I read this story, if... Jesus didn't uh, give this man his request. I don't know. There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desired to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue. For I am in torment in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, 
Remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus his evil things. But now is he comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us, that they would come from thence. Then he said, Pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one of them went from the dead, they would repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. What if this happened around the time of Jesus? That's what I thought. What if this happened around the time of Jesus? What if the rich man had died several days earlier? It is possible. And then Jesus tells this story in front of all these people. And it, he's revealed to us what happened, right? So even if those five brothers did not know, we know what happened on this occasion. This man's wishes that someone would go out and tell what was really happening to the world, that they would listen. How many people know this story and don't listen? I will say a lot, right? It's a real story. He said a certain man. The rich man, I don't believe, was in hell because of his riches. Now, they may have sped up the process. They may have tempted him. They may have caused him to err. But just simply being rich, I don't think that's the reason he went to hell. The poor man wasn't in hell simply because of his poverty. But it may have helped him trust in the Lord a little more. But they both had choices in life. One accepted God and relied on him, while the other had not. He was self-sufficient. There is such a thing of assurance of salvation, but the Bible is more plain on the temptation and snares of riches than about anything else almost. How many times does it tell us about the snares of being rich? And the snares of... They that be rich fall into uh, many temptations and hurtful lusts. And it's harder for a rich man to get through the eye of a needle. Get into heaven. What's that? It's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I'm sorry. So that's pretty difficult. How many camels have you seen fit through eyes of needles? And while well, people have made this thing up, well, the eye of a needle was a place in the wall at Jerusalem that was really small and the camels had to get down their knees and crawl through. Do you think that's what he is referring to? Well, maybe, but it's, a, it's hard. He made it clear that riches make it harder for us to get to heaven. And yet we all are fairly well-to-do. We live in America, and most of you drove here. That puts you in the 1%. But back to these things of options. Look at the contrast in life. The rich man was in torment. And he wasn't even asking for very much. One drip. How? That doesn't do anything. <laughs> you know, one dip, dip the tip of his finger in the water and just give me one drip to cool my tongue. That's a sign of desperation. Just one little drip. I'm not asking for much. He didn't even ask for a cup of water. You think if you're asking for stuff in hell, you'd say, send me a big glass of cold water. But he said, just, just a drip of water. He was desperate. And there, Lazarus was in the bosom of Abraham and relaxing 
at peace and comfort. Which would you rather? The things of this world are temporal. They're fleeting. This is just but a short time that we're here. Let's not get tied down here. Let's not lose our focus on why we're here. When Jesus was on the cross, one of the soldiers accepted him as his Savior. And Jesus told him, Today you will be with me in paradise. But after Jesus rose from the dead, I, I believe that New Testament state, saints go directly to heaven. Maybe this is a rabbit trail. But I think this, this place of paradise, as they saw in the rich man and Lazarus, I think when Jesus ascended up into heaven, I think the, the place, the abode of the unsaved, uh, not unsaved, but those that were waiting for redemption are, are probably in heaven with Jesus today. Hebrews 11.39, this is a verse that confused me just a little bit. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, receive not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. So wherever they are, are they perfect yet? No, they're waiting for us. Praise the Lord. This, however, is not my subject. Hell is referred to as the bottomless pit. Do you like the feeling of falling? Do you like the feeling of just falling and falling and falling? No, it's, a, it's a desperate feeling. Imagine not being able to grab a hold of something. It's not a nice feeling. Revelation says it's a place, and this is a different translation, for cowards, the faithless, the detestable, for murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. And their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I know of individuals that won't come to church because of the few hypocrites in the pews. Well, imagine the company you get in hell. <laughs> and we will have ourselves to blame if that's where we end up. Your church leaders won't be to blame. They may have blood upon their hands. They may have their own uh, punishment awaiting them if they're not faithful in preaching the gospel. But you will be to blame for your own actions. You will be to blame for your choices. And you can't say, well, you know, the church made it too hard for me to confess my sins. Now, the church is probably wanting to make it hard for you so that you have a home in heaven awaiting you. Because so often we want to make it so easy. And how much of the world do we just continue to live with in our hearts and in our minds? If you want to be sold out for Christ, I don't think there's anything that will hold you back from making your calling an election sure. My grandpa had a small taste of hell. And he, was, he came back, they brought him back from the dead, and he recorded it as best he could. He wasn't extremely literate, but he told grandma what happened and she wrote it down. And mom, the last time she was in, gave me his story as he wrote it. He was in a hospital with chest pains when his sister Rachel and my Aunt June by his side. He was sitting in his hospital bed when the pain kept intensifying. He told his sister Rachel to call for a nurse. The pain slowly grew worse until it slowly suffocated the life out of my grandpa. Maybe this is Aunt June writing. The next thing that happened, he was above the hospital bed, and we could see my Aunt June standing by his body. Then he saw the nurse quickly usher her out of the room, and when he had started to fly down a long tunnel, 
at an awesome speed until he came to a sort of gate with a tremendous light behind it. Then he felt a presence, a beautiful presence, an indescribable presence, a wonderful presence. Then the worst thing imaginable happened. He started to fall away from the presence, and he heard a kind and merciful voice tell him, no ill will or malice or hate can enter here. And he felt his heart that he was lost forever, and the terror that gripped his heart was unimaginable, and he screamed for mercy, please God, one more chance, just one more chance. And uh, he had told grandma that he could feel the heat, and he could feel, you know, the spirits trying to grab him. And God granted my grandpa Sam that request. The next thing he knew, he was back in his hospital bed with the doctor standing over him, asking him if he felt better now. Grandpa went on to say that he would not wish the feeling of fear on his worst enemy. He didn't even experience the other torments, just the indescribable feeling of thinking that it was all over and that he was lost for eternity, scared him so bad he couldn't even put it into words. Grandpa, as soon as he was well enough, went around and made the wrongs right. He told many of his friends his experience and a lot of their lives and made little to no difference. But he went around and he made his... He had bitterness in his heart. He had things, people had wronged him. People had said unkind things about him. And he went to him and he said, I'm sorry. I shouldn't hold this. And he asked for forgiveness. And he died in however peaceful a heart attack is a couple weeks later, maybe three, four weeks later. But God gave him a second chance for whatever reason. You're here this evening. God has given you a second chance. How many times has God spared you? God spared me a lot of times. 1 Thessalonians 5.1 But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. And when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. You are the children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God, catch this, for God hath not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether awake or asleep, we shall live together with him. Praise the Lord. He's provided a better way. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? I will say we will not escape. Let us not walk in darkness, but let us be children of the light. Anyone remember our memory selection? Let's say it together. Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. What does it mean to walk circumspectly? Circumspectly means carefully or in a prudent way. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. One verse in closing, first, or several verses in closing, 1 John 5, 10. 
He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not on God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave us his Son. And this is the record that God hath given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that you believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. He's offering you assurance of salvation. Have you accepted the Son of God as Lord and Savior of your life? If you have not, I would like to extend that invitation for you this evening. Hell is not a place that we want to go. It's not a place we need to go. And God has made every way to escape. If you have sin in your life, if you're hiding things, come forward. Accept God as your Savior. Let Him clean out those rooms that you don't want anyone in. We're going to have a prayer, and then I'm going to ask the song leader to lead 734. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Jesus, I thank you for the way of escape. I thank you through, of salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for the cleansing power of Jesus' blood. I thank you for forgiveness of sins and your mercy and your grace to restore us. I thank you for the adoption that we can be sons and daughters of God. Why would we do anything else? I just thank you for your great love and your mercy that you extended us a day of grace today. Thank you for waking us up this morning. And I praise your name that you're holy and loving God. So if there's anyone here that's feeling convicted, I just pray that if you're knocking on their heart's door, that they would respond, that they would open it up, and that they would make a testimony between God and before these witnesses, that they're ready to change their life. So if there's anyone here, I just pray that you'd give them courage, bind the powers of Satan this evening, let him not be able to hold them back. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen.